The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Kids, quit basting your bird and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 501 with guests Chris Bowen and Michael Cummings, recorded live Monday, November 23, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who used to have an open mind, but his brains kept falling out, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell with you here. How are you, sir? Good, for about an hour, and our fall... Uh, Gallivant is finally over. Finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks. My brother and I have been trying to work on a CD, you know, a new album. Yeah. For a long time. And uh, I only get like one night a week with him as it is because he's got a real job and uh, as a Java developer. And and so, you know, I get this email from, hey, when you're done gallivanting all over the world, <laughs> maybe we could get back to doing the album. Remember the album, Carl? Remember? Yeah, That's so... Funny. So I'm going to be spending as much time as I possibly can here in the next few months um, uh, go, uh, working on that, trying to get it done. Brilliant. And a lot of the things came out of this trip uh, to the PDC in particular. And one of them is uh, we got to jump on the My.NET Story contest, which Microsoft is doing. That's at my.netstory.com. The idea here is that if you've got an interesting .NET application – you can uh, send in your story about that application, and some very qualified judges will be uh, on hand later on in the year to uh, to pick a winner. And the winner gets either a trip to the Galapagos Island or a smart car. Nice. And there are three. There are three. You know, prize, first prize, second prize, and third prize. Second prize is an entertainment pack, and the third one is an internet media tablet. But that first prize has got to, you know, I'd go to the Galapagos personally. No kidding. And we've already interviewed, I guess, a half a dozen or so. You'll hear the interviews on .NET Rocks yeah. uh, with some of the contestants that are already involved. But they're still looking for more contestants. Right. 
So you have until the end of the year, until December 31st, to submit projects for this contest. And you can do it at my.netstory.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they if your project gets voted on and, and picked up, maybe you'll get interviewed by us, but you'll certainly be judged by Carl. Yeah, I'm one of the judges. Scott Hanselman is also one of the judges. I know that. Uh, and so that's going to be a lot of fun. Another thing that came out of the PDC uh, – is well actually before that at Dev Connections in Las Vegas, guess whose band is going to play at the launch event? Whose band's playing at the launch event, my friend? That would be me. Your band. Yes. So my band is going to play maybe Party with Palermo on the twenty second, but whatever happens on the twenty second that night, I believe that's that's when my band's gonna play. It still awesome. hasn't been finalized, but it looks pretty good. And our friends at Telerik are making that happen. Ah, we love the guys at Telerik. Yes, they are hip. They're cool. And besides that, they sponsored my band in spite of that. (laughs) So, (laughs) in spite of that fact. Well, anyway, let's jump right into Better Know Framework. Right. I say jump right in. It's been 20 minutes. That's been two. All right, sir, what do you got for me? All right, so as you know, .NET 4 is right around the corner. Yes, sir. So we're going to be starting to talk about some of those .NET 4.0 APIs. Mm-hmm. You know, the parallel uh, extensions have made it into .NET 4. Yes. We talked about the parallel extensions earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And in particular, check out the system.threading.tasks.parallel class. Oh. Yeah. So this allows you to do looping in parallel. And this is something that they talked about that I think it was Stephen Taub talked about. I'm I'm not sure, but how about parallel dot four, or parallel dot while? Neat. Think about that. Yeah. So, uh, it's not while, but at parallel four t local for each, and also an invoke, but a, a parallel for loop. So everything in that loop gets done in parallel, and you know we got a big loop. That's interesting, and you don't. You know, you don't tweak it. You don't say, I want to stick it to this processor or that core or whatever. You just do it and you'll get a, you know, if you've got, you may get a very significant increase in performance. Haven't done it myself, but I know people who have and they say, yep, it does help. There you go. Parallel. Awesome. Who's yakking at us, Richard? I've got an email from Jim Delaney, and it says, I just listened to episode 493, and that was the episode about Studio 2010. Right. While I agree that the product SKUs were complicated before, I think losing the standard edition from the lineup is a big mistake. Hmm. I'm just a small-time guy. I created apps for fun and to help me do my tech support job. The Express versions don't allow for add-ons like Code Rush, and I don't need anything that Pro offers. The big difference is cost. For less than 200 bucks, I had a perfectly suited IDE for my needs. Now I'll have to spend 500 for the upgrade. Don't punish the little guys, Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> two things, Jim. First, We're not your Microsoft. first upgrade is going to be free. If you have a current licensed edition, they're going to move you up to the next version for no additional cost. That's what they said. Right off the bat, everybody moves up an edition. So if you were using a standard, you'll get the pro edition for extra cost. Where you got to complain is the following year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they do make a version without MSDN and with MSDN, so you could choose how much you're going to spend. But you're right. The really cheap standard edition, the non-free one, is gone. So but, we did lose a version. There. But we still have a free version. 
We still have Express, but like Jim said, you can't put add-ons into it. Just mm. ask Jamie Carsdale about that. Yeah. There's no add-ins in Express, so you miss out on some great tooling. Oh, well. Well, I think it was your decision to pull that, wasn't it, Richard? Which? To, to pull the standard edition. It oh, was... yeah. No, that was totally my plan. Yeah. I've been sending emails to Microsoft <laughs> every day. Saying, Don't put out the standard edition. Don't do it. Yeah. Because, you know, never mind. I'm just kidding. Anyway, Jim, to help console your pain, I'm sending you a .NET Rocks mug. You can collect your tears in it. Yeah, or your add-ins, as the case may be. Or whatever you like. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, just don't like our hair, send us an email, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. Our guests today are Chris Bowen and Michael Cummings. Chris Bowen is a principal developer evangelist with Microsoft, working with the developer community in the northeastern United States, and also my DE. Yes. Yeah. An architect and a developer with over 16 years of experience, he joined Microsoft after holding senior technical positions at companies including Monster.com, or as we say in the Northeast, Monster.com, <laughs> Vistaprint, Staples, and IDX Systems, and consulting with others. He is co-author of Essential Windows Communication Foundation and Professional Visual Studio 2005 Team System and holds a Master of Science in Computer Science and a Bachelor of Science in Management Information Systems, both from Worcester Polytechnic Institute, or as we say in the Northeast, Worcester. That's joke's only funny once, I guess. I guess. Not even then. A lifelong gamer, Chris is active in the New England game development community and has frequently spoken on XNA game development at various Microsoft academic and community events. Michael Cummings has over 15 years' experience as a principal systems analyst and software engineer and is currently employed with Magenic, a Microsoft Gold partner. He is an experienced technical lead with strengths in systems architecture, software development, infrastructure design and deployment, and business process as it relates to technology. Michael holds multiple certifications from Microsoft and other certifying organizations, including MCP, MCT, MCSD, MCSE and MCDBA, M-O-U-S-E. <laughs> Michael is dedicated to the community and speaks at local user groups and code camps. As an avid gamer and XNA enthusiast, can you see a pattern forming I here? I see a folks? theme. Michael started the Boston XNA Developers Group and has spoken at several user groups and other events on the topic of XNA and games. Michael has contributed to many open source projects, including Axiom, a .NET Mono 3D rendering engine, and PlaneShift, a 3D MMORPG, or MORPG. That's Massive Multiplayer uh, Online Role-Playing role game. game. Okay, cool. Thanks. I'm not up on my MORPG. In January of 2009, Michael was awarded the Microsoft MVP designation in XNA DirectX for his contributions to the community. Chris and Michael, welcome to .NET Rocks. Thanks very much. It's great to be on Thank the show. You. Great to have you. And timely for XNA, I think, because there is some serious Xbox technology coming out next year. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You and have I, a serious Natal fixation. Right? I do. <laughs> I think this is a game changer, honestly. And I think there's going to be a lot of people come next November who's, who are going to say, man, I really wish I studied XNA in the early 2010. Yeah, well, here's the time to get in on it. I think you're right. Learn all about it. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up on uh, Natal. I think they've moved a lot of the announcements for that into uh, what's called the Game Fest conference. Uh huh. 
and uh, I believe it's coming up in February or so. I think they'll have a bit more on you know, the roadmap and stuff like that for Natal. Awesome. So uh, wait till then, I think. Yeah. Oh, I just heard a rumor. I read it online, and of course it was on the internet, so we know it's true. That uh, that uh, the, the 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 leak said November 2010. And at a cost of around eighty-five bucks, but again, it's only a only a rumor. So uh, XNA is, of course, the um, I don't, I can't even remember what it stands for, but it's the successor to DirectX as a way to develop games, and more specifically for the Xbox platform. But it also works on Windows, right? Yep, that's right. And uh, it's actually not a successor to DirectX; it's a layer on top of it. So okay. it's more of a successor a to what was called Managed DirectX, which ah. used to ship with the DirectX SDK. So I thought all this DirectX stuff was supposed to go away with WPF. That's a great oh. question, Richard. Not go away, but we thought that we wouldn't have to be using DirectX directly with with WPF. DirectX isn't going to go away because it's... It is your layer to the hardware. Right. So even WPF, when it's doing its 3D stuff, and Silverlight for that matter, they're just putting a layer on top of the, the DirectX rendering API to make it easier and simpler for you to get down to there. It's the same thing that XNA is going to do, too. Right. So WPF is just a way to be able to utilize the 3D engines, but it goes through DirectX to get there. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, that's that's important because it means that you know regular Windows apps now do this, and someday we might even see games developed in WPF. Well, yeah, and that's a good that is a good question. I mean, why do I mean maybe because XNA was developed before WPF? Why you know why isn't WPF the way to write Xbox applications? For the most part, and this is taking some information that I know from the guys on the Mono team, putting XAML onto the Xbox would be a very hard thing to do. Interesting. It just needs to be lower level. Well, yeah, it's all low level to begin with, and getting it to be performant for you know all of the rendering aspects that you need to have, it's, mm. it's very tough to do that kind of stuff. So XNA is really close to the metal is what you're saying? It is. It's just a thin layer over the top of the DirectX APIs. And it's only a C-sharp thing right now, right? The XNA toolkit is a C-sharp only thing? Well, officially, yeah. Um, the official support is, you know, from the team and from Microsoft is for C-sharp development. If you push and take a look around, you can find ways to get it done in other languages, but it's just not a supported scenario to, to delve off the, uh, the C-sharp path. Yeah. It's got to be pretty cool to be able to use uh, what is relatively a, a straightforward language like C-sharp. I mean, compared to writing this in C++. Yeah, definitely. I mean, C++ is just... Um, so much more complicated, and there are so many people out there that are learning C-sharp. It's so much easier just to, to throw in XNA and, and the game studio, you know, and be able to create a game in literally an hour to have something up and running on your screen and, and, you know, four or five minutes later be able to deploy that to your Xbox and, you know, play with it with your controller. So how hard is it to write a game here, really? Like, it still sounds like it's very low level. You're talking directly to DirectX. Well, I mean, the point of the XNA framework is to help abstract a lot of those details that you, you don't necessarily have to worry about, but you can in cases that you do care about those things. So I mean, the question was how much time does it take to write a game? You have to qualify what kind of game that's going to be. You know, if it's going to be something like you know, like a Pong kind of game that we can demo pretty quickly and, and get up to speed, 
Yeah, that's one thing. If it's going to be you know a more in-depth, you know, 3D-based networking game, then it's going to take longer. But the whole idea is that you can really abstract away a lot of those core concepts that game developers need to know, and it kind of lowers that bar uh, before you can get in and be productive. Just taking advantage of that C-sharp and .NET knowledge that you've already got, and then using the framework to help abstract those things, I think, gets you up to speed a lot more quickly. And and just to be clear here, the the professional game developers, the guys that work at Electronic Arts and Blizzard and things like that, that build apps for the for the games for the Xbox 360, they're not using this, right? They're working at a at a lower level still. Your AAA games are going to still be written in C plus plus, but that's not to say that they don't use XNA. Really? Um, yeah, some of them actually do use XNA to build their tool sets. Because it's faster right. than building up your tool sets in C++. And that brings me to this question, which is XNA is just a technology for doing rudimentary graphics, the low-level stuff. But I imagine anybody who's developing a game these days is going to use some sort of game development framework, right? You'll find a lot of your your production games out there, your AAAs for the Xbox and things like that. They're, they're going to start using you know things like the Unreal Engine, you know, because there's there's a lot more to those products than just a rendering API. Now, with um, XNA Game Studio and the XNA Framework from Microsoft, they're somewhere in between having a full-blown game engine and just a rendering API. You know, they give you a little bit of both, but not enough to be considered a true game engine. So there's still a lot of work that, you know, game studios have to put in today, like all the indie studios, to, to finish and polish a game to be you know, to to have actually people buy it. And Unreal is now free, right? The Unreal Engine? It is free for non-commercial use. Yeah. Yes. So what you guys have obviously developed games. I mean, what is what are the steps that you go through? I mean, before you have to do any coding, you really have to sort of plan out your environments and, and figure out your textures and, and all that kind of stuff. Just I imagine just building an environment is has got to be a huge challenge. What what is that process like, Chris? Well, I think uh, yeah. I think again, it depends on the kind of game that you're writing. Um, you know, if you, how in depth you're being with the environment, the setting, the background. Is it a 2D game? Is it a 3D game? Just how how far are you trying to push things graphically? Uh, will definitely drive how much time you're spending up front. Um, you know, you can go from all the way to designing the entire world and planning out, creating a you know, all the maps and the background stories and all your graphics, or you can you know, kind of dive in as a learning process and just start writing you know, with some basic concepts in mind and then keep expanding on the game, which we see a lot of people doing just as a learning exercise. But again, it's, it's really you get what you put in up front, just like any software engineering effort. The more you can put up, you know, the more you can design on paper before you actually put it into code and put it into actual graphics, and you can save that time later on when you change your mind and realize that maybe something's a little bit clunky, you don't like the mechanics of something, uh, better do that up front than, you know, once you have it in place. If I'm planning in advance here, is it realistic to say I could build the next Halo this way? Technically, there is absolutely nothing stopping you. Okay, it's just, it's just a, it may be a performance issue, but... Actually, I think it's probably more of a matter of development. I mean, a lot of game and development environments are nothing like Visual Studio. Well, it, well... To put it this way, there's actually two threads that a, a game really has, right? You're going to have all the code that's being written, and that's going to happen in Visual Studio. But a large part of the budget and time that goes into your big games today is actually on the asset side, all the art, 
Um, right. You know, between the textures, the models, the animations, the sound, uh, the video, all that kind of stuff is a much bigger pipeline and a harder pipeline to solve than the code. Code's easy. Code we've got. We've done that before. It's, it's that other side that's a lot tougher, and that's where you're going to be spending a lot more time in developing your game. So in that case, is, is there any sort of... Um are there any sort of environments that that work in concert with Visual Studio? I mean, I'm th- sort of thinking the way Blend works with Visual Studio. You know, it's a nice tight integration. You can bop back and forth on the same project. Do you, do you have that kind of integration with other third-party tools? There's some out there, and some of them actually work with XNA too. Um, and there's some there's some middleware um, that's available as well that can help you with managing your your content pipeline into into your game. Um, they're generally for your AAA studios, and, and a lot of times, I know from talking to a couple of people that they build their own internally. They they custom build their their pipeline into their games for all the build process of going from, you know, whether or not they're using you know Photoshop or uh, 3ds Max or whatever. All the exports that happen into the next stage, uh, it's it's a lot of a custom pipeline and custom tools that they put together in order to get all that to happen. And XNA makes it really simple. Um, With XNA, we have a content pipeline component that you just drop your assets into the project, build, and it can do the conversions for you and get it ready for deployment onto the Xbox. That's cool. So, I mean, I've, I've certainly worked with a number of development teams at Electronic Arts up here in Canada, and I'm aware of the fact that there are fewer programmers than there are artists. You know, it, it takes the guys, you know, drawing the art more time than it takes the guys to actually write the code. So you're still thinking the same design pattern that I, I design this game, come up with its ideas, and then work on its art and feed that into the pipeline even before I've really started coding. Or they can happen at the same time. Right. It, it, but th- the art side is definitely a lot slower, and that's why when you see, like if you play a game all the way through to the end on your Xbox and you get to watch the credits, your programmers will be a small chunk, and then you'll see all the artists and the animators and the sound effects people, and you know that side of the team is huge compared to the actual development side. Yeah, it's, a, it's an so awesome So there's always thought. the, you know, throw more people at it to get it done faster. Yeah. Because they can work largely in parallel. What kind of setup do I need to actually develop for for in XNA? Do I I just need an Xbox in addition to my regular development machine? It's depending on what you're going to de- you target your deployment for, but uh, pretty much everything that you would need if you want to develop for Windows or, or maybe your Zoom that you have, uh, you can get for free. You can use the free versions of Visual Studio, uh, the Developer Express edition. Uh, 2008 will work just fine, and you can download. The XNA Game Studio as well for free, and that's perfectly fine. That'll that'll get you up to speed creating games on Windows and being able to push things out to your Zune uh, just fine without without any expense. If you want to develop for the Xbox, uh, there's a little bit more you go through. Obviously, you need the Xbox. Uh, hopefully, not a problem. And um, the other thing you need to do is go to the Content Creators uh, Club site and get a premium membership. Uh, so uh, one of the links we can get a link in the show notes, but really at creators.xna.com, uh, you can go and uh, sign up there, and there's a premium membership that if you uh, grab that, then that'll give you the access to uh, actually push games out to your Xbox. So let's say you're working with something like Garage Games Torque 360 and developing your games with that. Do you need XNA? Do you need to actually write code if you have some sort of complete uh, 
development environment like that, or is it a complete developer environment? It's not a complete development environment. You're still going to need XNA, um, you know, especially for if you're going to be doing your your managed code, C sharp, and things like that. You still have to have XNA. Um, it, it, well, let's put it this way: you're still going to have to have the XNA framework um, for managed code because that's actually what's being deployed onto the 360 in order for you to run your C sharp stuff. Yeah. And what Torque and several other companies are providing is basically just the rest of the package that Game Studio and the XNA framework uh, don't have out of the box. The rest of the components that make up a game engine that enable, you know, the audio and specific genres of games. Like Torque is really great for your 2D games, your side scrollers, your yeah. top down scrollers, etc., um, and you know, physics and things like that. And a great editor. Okay. Well, you mentioned physics. Is there any kind of physics engine built into XNA? No. But there are several projects out there, um, both free open source projects as well as commercial projects that offer um, physics integration. Like um, one of the more popular ones is JibLibX, which is available on CodePlex. Okay. So, so and, and it's really no issue integrating these things? No, nah, it's usually just writing the extra code to you know, send what information you need into the various engines, like your physics engine, uh, so that it can, you know, make the, the motions and change your, your, your models so that they operate correctly. And do these, do these engines all come as managed code libraries or some of them, or do, are you using interop for most of them or how does that work? Well, that really depends on what target you're going to go for. Um, if you're going to target your your PC with XNA, you're you're free and open. You can do interop. You sure. can you can use um, native libraries. You can access the hardware. You know, basically whatever you have available to you in normal .NET development is mm-hmm. accessible to you. Um, if you're going to target the Zune or the Xbox, then you're going to be very limited in what you're going to be able to do because it's going to have to be managed code. You cannot access native libraries. Uh, on the Zune or on the Xbox. That's where something like Torque 360 would be very helpful for, because they make a specific version for the Xbox. Yes. Yeah. Because they're going to give you those extra features that you're going to want, like, you know, like physics or a particle system or something like that, without having to resort to a native library. So is there managed code on the Xbox? Is there anything, is a .NET framework on there? Yep. It is the .NET framework. It's a slimmed down version of the um, compact framework. Okay. Um, it even has Link. So it's a compact, compact framework. But it yeah. has Link? You just said Link? I did. Holy it has crap. Link on the Xbox. Wow. Yeah. Link to Xbox. I love it. That's <laughs> wacky. That is wacky. But but it's cool, though. So so that's, so that's I imagine that something like this third-party tool uh, would come with managed code assemblies if it's for the Xbox. I mean, there isn't any other – XNA is the most popular way to develop for the Xbox. Is that right? For your indie developers and your home home style guys, yeah. So what does that mean? Does that mean if you want to create a crappy looking game or, <laughs> or if you just – what does that mean, your home guy, you know? Uh, your, your hobbyist. Let your me put it hobbyist. that way. Your hobbyist right. programmer and your indie studios. Uh, the, it, essentially, the only way that they're going to actually get onto the Xbox is through XNA and the Creators Club. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. 
These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com slash MVC for more information and online demos. Make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So if you're not like a, you know, a huge Activision or something like that, you're, you're not going to – you have right. to use XNA. And, and the difference is what? That they have written their own stuff. They use C++, DirectX, hardcore stuff. Is that the difference? No, it's more along the lines of in order to get into the programs like um, Xbox Live Arcade or even the Microsoft Game Studios – it's a huge investment, uh, first of all, in time and money. You've got to almost have a working game before you get a contract with those two sides of Microsoft. Oh, that's um, And there's also the, the aspect that you're, you're basically turning over part of the production to Microsoft in order to get into those, those two avenues. Whereas with the you know, Xbox Live Indie Games, which is the, the publishing side of the Creators Club, there's really no... Nothing you're giving up. Uh, when you publish your game through Xbox Live Indie Games, you you basically have still full control over your game. You know, it is what you want to put out there. Yeah, that is what I'm getting at. Is there anything that the big guys can do graphics-wise or Xbox-wise that you can't do with XNA? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no. I mean, there are you a couple sure? of restrictions that we don't <laughs> we don't have access to a couple of things with the avatars. Okay. Um. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of restrictions as far as technology-wise, what we can do um, on the Xbox. Do you mean avatars when you, when you set up your, your profile and you can't make changes to your avatar? Is that what you're saying? Right, yep. With XNA? Yeah, the, we can't do there's, – uh, there's something I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's a couple of restrictions that are only given to um, Xbox Live Arcade and the Microsoft Game Studios side. Uh, just to make it so that they feel like they still get something. Okay. Now, Michael pointed out something that's worth kind of delving in detail on was the the difference between writing games locally and, and working with them on your own Xbox and getting them up on Xbox Live. Okay. And so, you know, if you have the Content Creators Club membership, the premium, you can connect up your Xbox, you can get your laptop, you can push, you know, a compiled game down to the Xbox that you have right in front of you and play it there. Um but it's not going to be up on Xbox Live for everyone else to see and to download and probably more importantly, just purchase as well. So there's a program called the Indie Games, uh, Xbox Live Indie Games, that you can go through. I think it's about a year old now. And what you can do is you go through a creation process, you submit your game, and then it's basically reviewed by other people that are creating games in the Indie Game framework. And then uh, once it goes through all those steps, it can go up into the, the catalog and people can actually go ahead and see it on Xbox, download it, purchase it, I can try a trial game a bit, and then basically you can assign different levels of, of points that it would cost to buy that game on Xbox Live. And so that's really the story for, I think, a lot of us out there that have that harbor you know, interest in being a game developer by night, you know, while we have a day job. Um, that's really the easiest way to get on the mat and to actually start you know, putting a game out there, getting it seen by the public, yeah. and then hopefully getting some downloads and some payments. And you mentioned the XNA Creators Club online a couple of times. What's that all about? That's really the, the portal that people can go through to learn about XNA, to sign up, to hear, you know, to, to learn more pull downs and starter kits, 
and just learn about XNA and work with it. Uh, I gave a link before, but uh, creators.xna.com. And if you go there, there's a whole bunch of things where you can download just what you need to get going, the framework itself, uh, XNA Game Studio. And then if you go into the education tab, there's a bunch of different tutorials and walkthroughs, um, some startup uh, games as well. But if you download, you can fire up Visual Studio and say, I want to make a new Xbox game. And it will show you right there in the Project New dialog. Here are some starter kits that you can run. And it's literally as simple as choosing the game that you want, uh, letting it generate the game, and then hitting F5, and you can start playing these games. Hmm. Well, what's really cool about that is you can just get you have all the code, you have the assets, the graphics, the sounds, yeah. and you can start diving in and figuring out, oh, that's, that's kind of a cool game. I think I understand how this works. What if I change this, or could I add a new monster here? Hmm. And it's just a really great way to kind of get into this stuff and work from an example that you can then get some familiarity with how all this XNA stuff works. Are there any are there any public domain graphics, textures, and things like that that get shared? Definitely, um, and that existed way before XNA even. Um, one of the more popular ones that I go to a lot is um, Turbo Squid. You know, they have oh. a lot of stuff out there. Some of it you can purchase for a reasonable cost, like usually under twenty bucks, um, or you can find a whole bunch of free stuff out there as well. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's links to those places on the um, the XNA Creators Club forum, uh, Creators Club website. You know, they have some frequently asked questions, and one of those is, "Where can I get free stuff?" You can just go in there and take a look. There's a lot. The first link is people. There's like a lot of people that design people, (laughs) virtual people. That's very cool. Now, did I hear you correctly? There is money to be made if you're publishing indie <laughs> games in the Creators Club? You did hear that correctly. Yeah. It's yeah. an important thing. I think, uh, when was it? About holiday season, um, we began to roll this out. And, in November uh, last year. Yeah, so it's a great way to turn that. You know, before when XMA launched, it was more of a you know, hobbyist kind of thing. You could learn about it. You can do more with it. But once <laughs> we rolled out the ability to learn to earn money, this really made it real for a lot of folks to say, oh, well, you have my attention now, and you can dive in and learn about it and actually turn this into something that can generate some money for you. And, yeah, i just poking around on the Xbox Live Marketplace, so there's a whole section for indie games. But they're, are they typically sold cash, or is that points? It's done with points on Xbox Live. All right, so uh, if I'm paying, I'm looking at one here, 200 points for this game, who gets the points? Where do they go? I think Michael might know the division at this point, but uh, yeah. a certain cut of it goes to the developer um, you know, per purchase. And I'm not sure, Michael, if you have any more details on that. Um, from what has been said so far, and there's no specifics, Microsoft takes um, 30% of the the points value to use for marketing, et cetera. Right. And then the rest of it goes to, straight to the developer. And it's paid out, I think, it's either monthly or quarterly. I can't remember. Um, but over the last year, people have started reporting how much they've been earning for, you know, the various games. There's a thread up on the XNA forums um, that people have been publishing this information uh, on, you know, what their statistics are. And, you know, I gave a talk a couple of months ago at the Code Camp in, in New England, and uh, the numbers are pretty interesting. They're, depending upon the game, people are really making some money. They're getting their investment back on on how much time they spent to put the, together the game. Like, are we at the quitting our jobs and making a living making indie games phase yet here, or just paying for your hobby? It's mostly just a paying for your hobby. Nobody's right. quitting their jobs yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know, it's also a great if you really love making games and you could get this up and running for you. Like, what better resume could there be for you know going to work for a major game developer? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole process will expose you to you know, the the world of writing games from you know concept to creation, and then through the process of getting out of online, uh, going through peer reviews, having to iterate over cycles of changes with that. I think that's really good experience that you can point to uh, if you are interested in, in shifting gears and joining uh, you know, an actual game developing firm. That's a great point to make. Yeah, it does seem like the, the, the interesting thing, of course, is that I'm sure somebody doing making games in their basement, you know, sort of solo, switching over to the model that I know a company like Electronic Arts has where several hundred people are working on a game, that's going to be quite a culture shock. But there are worse problems to deal with. Yeah, I imagine. There's hundreds and hundreds of indie games in here. Uh, 600, actually, yes. It's astonishing, really. Uh, have, so you guys have actually made a game, Michael? Have you gotten one out the door here? I haven't gotten one onto the uh, indie games yet. I'm still working on mine. Okay. So, but it is, a, I, you know what, I can't say that... You know, I can talk about all this stuff and then not have done it. So I, I am working on one that I plan on releasing out there, and it's just, you know, it's a work in progress. It's been slow going, but, you know, it's it's so much fun putting this stuff together and seeing it happen. What does it take to actually publish the game? And immediately I'm thinking about those guys on the iPhone side of things. Like, you have to submit this app to, to Microsoft, essentially? No, actually, we don't. We submit it. Um, there's a review process that you have to go through, and it's it's two, well, actually, three stages. The first stage is that you submit your game for review or for play test. All right. And the play test is really the way just to get your game out there, let people take a look at it and bang its doors down and find any of the most obvious things that can go wrong with it. Um, so other Creators Club members will download the game, install it on their Xbox, and you know, and review it. Basically, just go through and play the game, give you feedback. Um, when you put it up for playtest, there's a thread that's created in the form automatically for you so that people can respond to it and you can monitor it and see how it's going. And generally, um, you know, games will stay up into playtest for at least a week. Um, you then fix up everything that's wrong, you know, taking all your, your uh, feedback. And then when you're really ready and you think it's ready for the Xbox, you can then put it into review. Uh, when it goes into review, um, the rest of the MVPs and all of the other people who are creators will then put it through the review test, and they're going to do all of the things to your game that could possibly cause it to fail for an end user. Um, and this is all done by community. There's no Microsoft involvement at all at this point. Um, it's mostly just creators and, and MVPs testing out your game. After so many reviews... Um, get pushed that are positive, a single negative generally fails you, um, which is why they want the play test. Uh, but after you get through the review process, there's uh, a week period before your game shows up on Xbox.com live and shows up in the uh, uh, on the Xbox for you to purchase and download. Wow. And I'm just poking around on the on the Xbox Live Marketplace, sorted by top rated, and look at the screenshots of some of these games. They're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, some of them have really done very well. It's, Serious it's work. impressive, some of these games. No kidding. Can we dive in a little bit uh, deeper in the technical side, um, specifically about model processing with the with the XNA content pipeline? Uh, 
in sure. first of all, tell us what the why the content pipeline is so important, and and then what uh, you know how you use it and what you would use it for. So the content pipeline is built into the XNA Game Studio, and it's a great way to manage the assets that are part of your game and assets. By that we mean the graphics, the the structures that you're dealing with, you know, the 3D models, uh, also the sounds and effects that you're playing in the game. And the content pipeline is a way to abstract the process of generating that into the format that's needed by the target environment, whether that's the PC or the Zune or the Xbox. So there's a lot of stuff in there that's done for you that, you know, as a as a hobbyist or as an indie game developer, uh, it's, it's nice to not have to worry about all those details, although, again, you always have access to get in there and, and deal with the content pipeline if you have specific needs. But the main point of it is that it's really a special directory. Uh, visually, you look at it in, in, in Visual Studio, you'll see a directory there, um, and it's really going to help you to put in the graphics and the sounds. And it, it just works for a lot of the cases. Yeah. Now, in other cases, and I'm sure Michael will go in detail, uh, there are cases where you want to actually modify how that's being done. But the overall process is just to lower that bar again to make it easier to work with all these assets that are really one of the most important parts and the most complex parts of creating any game. So it's basically taking generic assets and then rendering them into the environment for the particular platform that you're on. And it, right. and that that is a very, really challenging thing to do. So that's sort of the, the sort of the it just works technology, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> What is uh what is mesh? What is a mesh content in the context of the pipeline? A mesh is basically just a set of 3D points that are connected together through a specific pattern so that you can actually see it when it's rendered onto the screen. And it's only one part of what is called a model in XNA. Okay. So um, uh, what is a model? So a model takes a mesh and submeshes together with textures and animations and produces, you know, things like, uh, I don't know, a house or a dwarf with a sword, mm-hmm. um, all the various things that you'll see on your screen. <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> I didn't call you a dwarf. <laughs> with a sword. With a sword, yes. Or battle axe. I mean, pick your, pick your weapon. So the model is the, the thing you're looking at or in interacting with and uh meshes and submeshes are the 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 breakdown of that thing. Right, cuz there's times when you want to be able to um manipulate the specific uh makeup of your model for instance. All right, let's say um let's take a very simple example of you've got a piece of terrain, all right, ground, let's say. And you want to be able to throw a grenade, and when the grenade explodes, you want to be able to make a hole in the ground. Yeah. All right? So in order to do that, you need to modify that that terrain mesh to decrease all of the, the 3D points that are in that explosion radius and to map them to that to that bottom level. So that's where the mesh really comes in handy is because you yeah. can do that. You can get access to the mesh and, and find those points around where the explosion was and modify their location in 3D space. Now, it sounds like if you're trying to do that, you have to be either a really talented artist or a mathematician or a physicist or, or all of the above. What, um, you know, what is that experience like? I mean, if you're a programmer, you take this object, maybe you buy it on uh, you know, the, that website you said, mm-hmm. you take this object, you want to, you know, 
let's say, take something a little even easier. You want to make your character hold up one finger and point it at somebody. How does, I mean, I wouldn't know where to begin to do that. All right. To do something like that, it's really even easier than the grenade throwing because there's tools out there to do that for us today. Um, because if you're going to have a character and you're going to want to animate it, make the arm move, fingers move, mm. mouth movements, whatever, mm-hmm. um, you can use tools like 3ds Max or Blender or Milkshape, any of our, our modeling tools to take that you know uh, thing that you you bought off of Turbo Squid, pull it into your favorite modeling tool, and then be able to work with. Um, you're gonna have the mesh. You're gonna also have a skeleton. And the skeleton is, is exactly like the skeleton in your body. It's made up of bones and things like that. Mm-hmm. And each vertus, uh, which is your 3D point in your mesh, is bound to each bone. And then what your animator does is he positions the bones. I and see. all of your, your, your vertices change their position based on the movement of the bone. It's much easier to see this in a video. <laughs> so, but but I'm imagining it though. You could create a you could create a animation that you, you would name, you know, pick your nose or something like that, whatever it is, and yep. you make him do that. So then, when you're programming the game, the programmer just has to say object dot pick nose or whatever. Is that about yeah, right? Or more likely, it's object dot play animation, and then you specify which animation you want to run. Okay. Interesting. By the way, that site that we were talking about before, the Creators Club, is really home to a bunch of different things that will help you with those scenarios, too. So if you're beginning this and you haven't done any of this stuff before, there are some good getting started tutorials to go through, one for two-dimensional games and one for 3D. And then also, once you get past those, there are specific scenarios, like, well, I have these two objects. How do I tell if they've collided? And what are the different ways that I could figure that out? Well, it turns out there's you know, many different ways of doing that. There's about five tutorials for different ways you might want to attack that problem, depending on how much how accurate you need to be and how complex you want to go with the code. Hmm. But there's a lot of ways that you can learn how to do this stuff, from blending animations together to doing bloom effects to, uh, like I said before, just you know, uh, those simpler scenarios like, like collision detection and stuff like that. Um, I would definitely have the education catalog on that site. Now, uh, you mentioned... Uh, Michael Blender and a couple other tools, and then you say those are our tools. Are those Microsoft tools? Ours, as in game developers. Ah, okay. I wanted to be clear about that. <laughs> yeah, no. Blender is an open source project, um, and 3ds Max, the other one I mentioned, of course, is a commercial product. So no, they're not produced by Microsoft, but they they can produce uh, output that can be used in XNA. Wow, and very cool. I mean, you know, if you're sitting around and you have nothing to do and you're a programmer, maybe you're retired, I can just imagine getting sucked into this world because I'm not a game developer. I can imagine getting sucked in and never wanting to come out. <laughs> it's like, just leave me alone in my world, my fantasy world. <laughs> or you know how many developers are out there that would secretly, you know, love to quit what they're doing by their day job and go off and be the game developer that creates the next biggest thing. Yeah, that's all fine right. until you need to eat. <laughs> well, and, and just doing the math here, Microsoft points are about 80 points per U.S. dollar, and most of these games are 240 points, so they sell for about three bucks. You know, 
So you get 70% of that. Like, you're going to have to sell a lot of games to eat. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Wow. Even the most popular games out there today haven't even cracked $100,000 yet. That is disturbing. Well, it's just re- recognize what we're talking about here, right? The math on this is is uh, is not easy. It's it's like I said, if you can pay for your hobby, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, if you really want to capitalize on this, you're going to do it by using that as a resume piece to go work for a big game company or to form a game company. Yeah. Sure. And some people even consider this as the, the indie games as a stepping stone to, you know, Xbox Live Arcade. Right. To getting that contract with Microsoft. So what's the distinction in Xbox Live Arcade? It's a more tightly controlled environment. So, you know, the games are a little bit higher quality. Um, they go through a much tighter review process. And, you know, there's a much higher interaction with Microsoft um, before your game can actually get pushed out onto the Xbox Live Arcade. Um, the points values are also higher to reflect that. So, like, with the indie games, we're stuck between 80, 200, and 500, I think. And then with the Xbox Live Arcade, they start where we leave off and go up. Right. I'm looking at uh, PopCap Games makes a game called Peggle, which is like a classic, classic game. It's been around a long, long time. And it's in the arcade. Right. So we've got this sort of gradation. You could start with indie games and you can move to the arcade games before you could consider the full freestanding Xbox game developer type environment. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it's just it, it looks like there's a real prog- you've got an, an ecosystem here to grow game developers for the Xbox 360. Yeah, and oh, what's that's... really cool is it's an industry first. There is no other console out there today that has what indie games provides for for game developers. No kidding. And yeah, it looks like now the numbers start making sense. If you can get to the arcade level, if you can actually build a game of this caliber in your basement, you could make a living here. Well, via Viacom's Media Networks, who makes I think they make Beatles Rock Band, right? They uh their their revenues in the last quarter were down three percent overall to three point three two billion. Via, oh, that's a shame. Viacom. So I mean, it can be done. But here's the thing, though. I mean, you look at something like Beatles Rock Band. It's much more than a game. I mean, they're licensing the you know the well. First of all, they have all the hardware that goes with it, right? The controllers and stuff. And they're licensing the songs, and the songs are getting popular again. There's a lot more going on there, I think, than yeah. just a game. But yeah, there's there's a lot of hands in the pie of that money. Yeah. Uh, just thinking about building, you know, sort of classical. Well, I argue that the game market itself is somewhat moribund. I mean, the most mature game gaming companies they make the same games, right? I mean, yeah. if you're not, it's either a driving game. Or it's a, you know a Halo variant, or it's yeah. some fighting variant. Like we just don't see innovative games coming out of the big shops anymore. Well, and I can see why because it's such a huge investment. I mean, how much money does Electronic Arts spend to build a game? And and I'm really thinking about you know as I said before, Project Natal, where you wave your hands in the air and things happen. Uh, coming next year sometime, hopefully, and the kinds of things that we can do with XNA. And the and Natal and Xbox that go beyond games, and maybe that there are some applications out there that can be written where we're going to be using our Xbox for you know 
communication? I mean, I don't know. Does the is the can you hook up a camera to the Xbox and do conferencing with it? There is a camera. There is a camera. Yep. So you know that there's an idea. I mean, be able to use it as a communication device that's sort of connected to your TV and your media. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And we're idea. seeing that already with the Xbox Live updates themselves, including being able to use Facebook or other social media just right from the uh, you know right from the desktop there. Right. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that this doesn't feel as saturated as other sort of indie development spaces, and I'm particularly thinking iPhone. Yet there are lots and lots of Xboxes out there. The real question is how many Xbox Live accounts are there? Like, How many customers have you got to play with here? I'm not sure what the numbers are. Yeah, the numbers, I think, are the important part. It's just, you know, the, I think mo- people jump on iPhone development because they get there's 30 million iPhones. I don't think there's that many Xboxes, much less Xbox Live accounts. And just to be clear, I mean, none of this, this is only available, both arcade, indie, and so forth, only available through Xbox Live. That's right. Speaking of, uh, from that, do you, you guys know about uh, Microsoft banning the Xbox Live users who, I guess, modified their Xboxes to illegally get on Xbox Live or something like that? I, I can't remember the story, but um, but it was it was pretty cool, though, that, you know, basically a bunch of people hacked their way into the network by modifying their Xboxes. And Microsoft surprised them <laughs> by banning them from. It's like, how? But uh, they banned me. It was like, yeah, you don't belong here. And they can't just but, go out and buy an Xbox now and get back on. No, no. It's like, uh, it's so funny. Well, I think yeah. it goes to show how important it is to you know make sure people know that it's a it's a secure platform that you know you can trust it that. Right. Yeah, you know, if we let all kinds of modders running around doing what they wanted, yeah, those modders value a bunch <laughs> of stuff out there. Right? Those evil like, modders. Achievements, uh, <laughs> two million points of achievements, things like that. Yeah, and they've been issuing warnings for a while to let people know that if they're going to be using their modified Xboxes on the network, that you know they were risking being banned. Yeah. And uh, I was reading that article, and I think the number was something like thirty thousand people. Yeah, I think it's a good they, move. They, they banned. Yeah. It is still kind of shocking. That's a big number. Yeah, and unexpected, you know, just sort of like, whoa, yeah, you go. Yeah, just sort of tossed them out. Well, hopefully they can find their way back into the good graces, too. Right. You had mentioned something earlier. You had talked about you know, really being a continuity or continuing between starting off and going into indie games and then into Xbox Live Arcade. Um, I-, I wanted to make sure we mentioned one thing to kind of complete that, that whole cycle there. So even earlier than doing development on Xbox um, with the uh, XNA Game Studio, there's another project called Kodu that's out there that uh, came out of Microsoft Research. I think originally it was called Boku, but uh, it's called Kodu Game Lab, and you can download this uh, on your Xbox, actually. It's one of the games that you can download. And really what it is, it's a game to make games, um, and it's targeted at uh, really, I think, just people that don't have programming backgrounds to help teach, like, for example, kids how to get into this stuff, learn about what are objects, what are interactions, uh, how do you respond you know, to an if and then to an else, but without having, like, a blinking cursor on an IDE staring at them and saying, okay, what next? It's much more of a video environment where they're using the Xbox controller and just, you know, laying out the terrain, putting objects down and saying, when I, you know, uh, when I you know, touch the tree, the apple drops from it, uh, those kinds of interactions. But it's a really important thing to point out because if people aren't quite ready for the uh, Visual Studio world, 
you can launch this. You can go into Kodu and actually make games and share them with others and kind of learn those concepts without having to go into the full cycle of, of using XNA Game Studio. So there is a way, again, this is even a, a lighter touch that, uh, well, I could see you getting your artist friends involved this way or just getting that layout done. And then you could, you know, go another step further and start digging into it. Can you take the stuff that you created that way and pull it into your app? I uh, believe Kodu is a separate environment that you can share the entire games, you know, within that world. But I don't think it's something you can export from and then import into an XNA-based game. Right. Uh, I think it's more about a learning process and making that available to a wider audience that, you know, maybe would be, wouldn't be ready for that IDE of experience in the blinking cursor. It's, yeah, it's interesting to see the sort of layers of how we're going to allow indigenous folks, uh, indigenous game development to go a little bit further and a little bit further. Right. Right. Richard, you want to play zombie apocalypse? <sighs> I'm listening. <I'm... laughs> what? Richard IMs me. I get this. I think I want to play Zombie Apocalypse. I just, you know, I'm poking around in some of these games, and I pull up a screenshot, and there's just bits of zombie everywhere. And I'm thinking, you know, I've had days like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The <laughs> biggest problem here is I don't know how many people actually know how many really interesting games there are out there that folks are creating, and in all these different layers too, at the indie level and at the arcade level, and so on, that you could you could pick and choose from. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of them out there, and like especially at the indie games, we just had some numbers released that said you know we have over 600 games um, on the indie indie game site now. So, you know, and all of these are under five dollars. So yeah. it's it's not like you're going to spend a lot of money to go try some of these games, and some of them are just a heck of a lot of fun to play. Yeah, very very clever stuff. So, uh, guys, where do I go if I want to get started here? Is it just go to the Creators website? Yep, that's right, creators.fna.com. And then there's all kinds of, you know, download this now, and there's a Getting Started link right there. And uh, that'll give you the links to download what you need um, for developing games, you know, on Windows and on the Zune. And, again, there's another step you go through to move to the Xbox, but uh, definitely not required if you want to do Windows development. Just get started, work through some tutorials, begin to create a few games. Uh, very simple to get set up and running with that stuff. All right. Well, our uh, guests have been Chris Bone and Michael Cummings. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Great stuff, and uh, we look forward to seeing some more of that stuff as the year progresses. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC, yes, I'm a...